Over the past few months, we've talked a lot about what it looks like to share the gospel with uh, friends and family, people that we love. I hope that you've had some opportunities to do that. It just seems from what I've been hearing that there has been a whole lot of excitement about the opportunities that we have to share. And even just since we've been talking about this on Sunday nights, I've noticed I've had a whole lot more opportunities to share the gospel, whether that is, is God making me practice what I preach or whether that is, you know, I just now have eyes to see these opportunities God is giving. It's an awesome and awesome thing. But for all of us, at least to, to me, maybe I'm kind of just projecting my experience on you. For me, the hardest part of sharing the gospel with someone is knowing where to start. It's not that hard most of the time once I get rolling. Because my thing is once I get started talking, the problem is knowing when to stop. But how, how do you start? Even with Brother Robert, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, with Brother Robert's episode a few months ago, uh, that night when that happened, afterwards I was with him in the emergency room at St. Vincent's, and he was immediately using that experience to tell people about Jesus. It was an amazing and incredible thing, and I don't know if that's God working to make it easy for him to share the gospel, or God working to make it really, really hard uh, for him to share the gospel. But regardless... Few of us are going to have that exact opportunity. Few of us are going to die and come back again and be able to tell people about it, right? Uh, so how do we, in the normal patterns of life, how do we kind of open up the lines of communication and start to, to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations? We, we talk about dozens of different things every day. We have conversations about everything you can imagine, things that are important, things that are not important. We talk about sports. We talk about politics. We talk about the weather. We talk about life and everything in between. So how do, in those normal conversations, how do we get from what we are talking about to the one thing we really need to talk to people about, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Tonight, I want to just give you some ideas of how to do that. Uh, this is not anything you would call a proper sermon. This is just really, hopefully, some practical and helpful advice that I want to give you. And I want to begin by reading from a place where Jesus shares the truth to a lady who needed it. It's in John chapter number 4. John chapter 4. And I, I really, I'm excited about what I'm going to share with you tonight. Because it's not necessarily the most revolutionary thing I'm ever going to share with you. It's not exactly the most original thing I'm ever going to share with you. But I really believe if you can take this, if you can digest it and internalize it, and if you can start to use it in your life, it's going to open up so many opportunities to share the gospel, make it easier than it ever has been before. And we're going to begin by reading a place where Jesus starts to uh, kind of share with a lady who needed it. It's in John chapter 4. You can keep your seat while we read this tonight. John 4, 1. The Bible says that when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said unto Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When He comes... He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Now John chapter 4 is one of the classic stories we have in the gospel of John and really in the gospels themselves where Jesus is acting as what we might call a soul winner or an evangelist, even a missionary. Jesus is faithfully sharing the gospel, sharing the truth about Himself. But really, this scene in John chapter 4 is sandwiched between kind of two other stories where Jesus does the same thing. In John chapter 3, Jesus has that famous conversation with Nicodemus where he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And in John chapter 5, we see Jesus healing a crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. And what we see in these passages of Scripture is Jesus reaching out to people who need Him, reaching out to people who need truth, having conversations with people in different environments and different contexts where He's bringing them to an understanding of who He is and what He can offer them and what He can do for them. And it's a great example for you and I of how we are to go about this great project of sharing the faith. But if you're like me, when you read a story like this or think about a story like this, your first thought really is kind of, well, that's all fine and good, but I'm not Jesus. I mean, nobody's ever going to ask Jesus a question he can't answer, right? I mean, he's Jesus. You see, in this this story, this lady starts asking him this question. Well, where are we supposed to worship? Are you greater than Jacob? Jacob gave us this well, and you know about Joseph, and you know about our traditions, and what about your tradition? And none of that stumped Jesus. Don't you wish it was that easy for us? Jesus doesn't have all the weird social anxieties that we do. Jesus' hands probably didn't get all sweaty, and Jesus didn't just lose his, tra- you know, lose his train of thought and not know what to say. And we think, well, that's all fine and good. Jesus knew how to witness to people, but nobody, none of us are Jesus, so this is not a fair comparison. That's all fine and good. But please remember this tonight, folks, that the gospel you share reminds you that you never share the gospel alone. That when you share Jesus... The Savior you are sharing is inside of you to help you share the Savior you're sharing. In fact, Jesus said in the Great Commission, those verses we go to all the time in Matthew 28 and 18, He said, Jesus comes to the disciples, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Jesus is saying that when you share the gospel, that's not something you just do for Him. It's something you do with Him. 
And all of the promises Jesus gives us about the Holy Spirit living inside of us, those promises are given to a people who are on mission, sharing the gospel. And Jesus says, my spirit will be in you, helping you share the gospel, helping you make truth known. So understanding that, I think stories like this help us to see how Jesus is with us and what he will do in us as we surrender to him and open ourselves up to his speaking through us. So in John 4, Jesus goes to the city of Samaria. We see in verse number 9 very clearly that the city of Samaria, the region of Samaria, is uh, kind of at the center of some religious and racial animosity, that it's not normal and it's not commonplace for Jewish people, especially Jewish men, to be around Samaritan people, especially Samaritan women. But Jesus does go there in the middle of the day, and he has this conversation with a woman who, we'll say, has some relationship trouble. Right? We'll just leave it at that. But Jesus opens up to her, and Jesus begins to speak with her. Jesus is not afraid to go where nobody else will go. And thank God that He's not. But while He's there, He talks to this woman, and they have a conversation that touches on a lot of different subjects. But if you get down really to the heart of what Jesus is talking about here, what He does when He shares the truth with her are two simple things. First, Jesus exposes their need. And then Jesus confronts this woman to think about who he really is. In every conversation Jesus has about the gospel, and every conversation he has where he's pulling people to faith, that's what he does. He exposes their need, and then he forces people to confront the truth about who he is. And by the way, that's what he did in your heart too, whenever he saved you. Even as this woman, beginning in verse number 16, even as this woman starts to feel uncomfortable and tries to redirect to kind of a a random theological conversation, a random theological topic to take some of the pressure off, Jesus again exposes her need to worship the true God in spirit and in truth, and he points out to her that he is the means that can make this possible. Have you ever had that happen to you? You're trying to share the gospel with somebody, and you're telling them their need to repent, and you're telling them their need to believe, and they say, yeah, well, that's all fine and good, but where did Cain get his wife? I don't know, farmers only. I don't know where he got his wife. But Jesus stays focused, and he goes to the point and says, here's your point. She wants to ask about worship, and he says, listen. He says, the hour is coming... When the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth, and those are the people that God desires to worship Him. And He says, but understand that that is happening now because I'm the Messiah who has come. You see what Jesus does? He shows her her need to worship the Lord, and then He shows her that He can meet that need. So, what I want to do is give you, I don't know, eight or nine, maybe, just really quick, really brief, helpful tools you can put in your toolbox that if you will know these ideas and know these concepts and and even memorize these lines... You can use them very quickly to share the gospel and easily to transition conversations uh, towards Jesus. The way he does here by exposing people's need and confronting them with the truth about who he is. But before we do those, there are two ground rules that I think almost always have to be in place before you're going to be able to really effectively transition a conversation towards the gospel. And the first is you need to listen. You need to be able to listen. Great evangelists, great soul winners are not great soul winners because they're great speakers. They're great soul winners because they're great listeners. Because they hear people's true need. They hear their heart the way Jesus listens to this woman that nobody else probably listened to. This woman that probably the women in her community didn't value. The men in her community certainly didn't value her. Jesus valued her. He listened to her. He heard her. 
When you listen to people, you start to understand the truth about what they really believe. You understand the truth about the hurts in their heart. When you listen to people, you understand the truth about their ambitions and their hopes and how God alone can satisfy those things. Folks, it is a, an inescapable rule of life that if you listen well, people will talk to you. And if people talk to you, it makes it a whole lot easier to transition the God to the gospel based on what they have said. And a lot of times, they'll do all the work and open the door for you. And what can be easier than that? Listen to what the Bible says. A couple of Proverbs uh, that were given about listening. Proverbs 18.13 says that if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. For somebody to talk before they listen, that's stupid. Now that's the Jesse Carr translation of that, but it's basically the idea. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. People are complicated, most of them. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Somebody who listens and thinks and prays, they can know how to take the gospel to that person. You need to listen. Second, in most instances, instances, you are going to need to live out the gospel before you're able to really effectively share it. Now, there are situations and opportunities where you are going to be able to share the gospel with people who are total strangers. Brother Brad and I had that opportunity... A couple weeks ago, we had this just nightmare scenario when we flew out to Guatemala where we couldn't find anywhere to park the church bus. But we ended up finally finding a place to park it behind a dumpster somewhere. We didn't get towed or jacked, thank God. But we ended up on a shuttle with this guy named Omar whose parents were from Pakistan. They were faithful Muslims, and he was just trying to be a young kid in Atlanta and was trying to, you know, having some conflict with what Islam taught and what the American dream was telling him. And for whatever reason, I guess because God designed it, He just opened up to us. And we had the opportunity to share the gospel with Him. That happens. You're going to have opportunities to share the gospel with total strangers in life. But most of the people that you have relationships with, they know you. And they're going to need to see faithfulness. They're going to need to see obedience. They're going to need to see compassion for them. They're going to need to see somebody who's living in the hope of the gospel. And that's tough, isn't it? And one of the things sometimes that keeps us from really sharing the gospel well and faithfully to people who know us best is that they know us best. And we think they see all of our warts, they see all of our flaws, they see all of our failures. Well, folks, I'll just tell you right up front, sometimes the best way to start a conversation to take somebody to the gospel is to go to them and say, I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I repent. And when some of the unbelievers in your life hear you say that, it's going to blow their mind, and you're going to be able to go from there and take them to Jesus. But the Bible tells us we need to live out the gospel to faithfully share it. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Again, Peter says there that if you do live out the gospel, eventually Peter are going to, people are going to ask. That doesn't remove the burden from you from sharing, but people are going to see a difference, and they're going to come to you and talk, want to talk about that. And then you're going to have the natural opportunity to share. So, when you have those opportunities, let me give you a couple ways that you can just kind of transition into talking about Jesus. Here's the first one. Ask people this question. How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? I try and do this if people in the church are having surgery. Um, try and do this to our waiters or waitresses or whatever. Sometimes just people that I meet in different situations. How can I pray for you? You ever thought about how many people you meet in day-to-day life that they don't know of another person in their life that regularly prays for them. 
Think about that. How many people that you'll be around at work tomorrow or that you'll be around in school or maybe even folks that, that you're connected with in other ways that there's nobody that really prays for them? That's scary, isn't it? But you can be that person who says to them, listen, I care enough about you to take your name to the Lord when I pray. And I'd like to pray for you. How can I pray for you? I'll tell you what you're going to find out. I find out when I ask at least strangers this question is that they're so surprised by this. It's so abnormal for them to hear somebody to ask them, can I pray for you? That they don't have an answer to the question. And what they'll say is, just kind of pray for God's blessings on my life. You know what I do? I pray for God's blessing on their life. Or they say, well, well, pray for my family. And usually when they say pray for my family, I start to immediately think, yeah, they got a family like I got. So I know there's a mess back there somewhere. But I'm going to pray for their family. And if, if I have an opportunity, I'll pray for them right there. But this is a great thing. Every Christian ought to ask this question as much as possible. Whether, whether they're talking to a non-believer or the person that sits beside them in church or their husband or wife or their kids, they ought to ask, how can I pray for you? A second one. This is from Faith Evangelism Training. Some of you have done that, I know, here at the church. But it starts with this question. In your personal opinion, what do you understand that it takes for a person to get to heaven and have eternal life? Some of you have that memorized. You see that every time you close your eyes when you go to bed. You've heard it so many times. But the reason this is so genius is because it does several things at once. It asks somebody, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? It, it gets into their heart. It gets into their thinking about spiritual matters. But it also asks them, you know, in your personal opinion. So it's taking it, uh, you know, kind of out of the abstract, out of the theoretical, getting into somebody's own heart, saying, here's what I believe. Not what I've been taught, not what I've heard. Here's what I really believe. And you'll see this kind of theme running through several of these ideas we're going to talk about tonight. The one good thing about questions like this or statements like this is that what you're getting somebody to do when you ask this question is you're getting somebody to talk about themselves. And folks, I promise you that everybody on God's earth likes to talk about themselves. And if you just ask them, say, well, what's your personal opinion about what it takes to get to heaven and have eternal life? They're probably going to tell you. They're probably going to tell you. The next one is from a similar um, evangelism training called Evangelism Explosion. Some of you may have been trained in that. I have uh, done some training in Evangelism Explosion over the years. It's very similar. But it begins with two questions at once. The first one is, do you know for sure that you are going to be with God in heaven? Or sometimes we may ask it, do you know for sure that if, if you were to die that you would go to be with God in heaven? And what, what do you think just most people are going to say when you ask that question? Yes, hopefully. Most people are going to say, well, I hope so. I like to think so. Probably. And then the follow-up question is where you really get down to it. And that is, if God were to ask you, if you were to stand before God right now, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And then people are going to start saying things like, well, you know, um, I'm a pretty good person. I was raised in a good home, whatever, whatever, whatever they might say. Because most people are going to give you a works-based answer to that question. And then from there, and if you follow the evangelism explosion outline, there is you know, pages and pages and pages of things you can memorize that will take you in every single direction imaginable as you can take them into Scripture. But a good verse, and I don't think this is on the screen for you, but a good verse to jot down, to look up, to memorize... For every believer, is 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have we written unto you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's a good verse to memorize 
Because you can take it to people and you can show them 1 John 5, 13. And you can say, listen, the Bible says right here that we don't just hope we're going to heaven. We don't just wish we're going to heaven. But we can know. We can know that we have eternal life. And then you can explain to them how you know that. Number four, um, just ask somebody, tell me about yourself. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. And people will do that. People like to talk about themselves. They like to talk about things that aggravate them. Did y'all come to church today? I mean, did anybody here share anything with you that aggravated them? Maybe. People like to talk about things that we like to talk about things that aggravate us, don't we? We like to talk about things that excite us. That's just human nature to talk about those things. People like to talk about their families, whether it's good or whether it's bad. People like to talk about, you know, what we would call victories in life or triumphs or accomplishments. Sometimes they like to talk about defeats, even if they're blaming it on everybody else and all that kind of thing. But in response to that, there's a couple things you can do as people talk about themselves. I think when they start talking about themselves, that gives you permission to talk about yourself, right? And then you can start to tell your testimony. You can tell them the story of your life. Maybe they've been through some similar experiences and you can talk about how God has brought you through those things. Or another idea is you can retake the story of their life. Whether it's through their passion, the things they're excited about, the things they want to accomplish, or through their pain, the things that hurt them, you can retell the story of their life with Jesus in it and show them how it would be different. Say to them, I understand how you're hurting right now. But here's how Jesus offers you eternal life. Here's what He did for you in the gospel. And here's how this can totally change everything about where you are. Retell their life to them with Jesus and in the middle of it. Because a lot of people have never heard that. A lot of people have never thought about that. And when I say look for their passion and look for their pain, if you want to understand people, then what you really need to understand is, is what they're excited about, what they're passionate about, and what's hurt them. And everything that people are excited about, everything that drives them, ultimately, in some way, that's connected to a desire to be connected with God. It's connected to the fact that they're made in the image of God. And they're looking for what they can only find in God and other things. And you have the opportunity to direct them towards God. And we all live in a sinful world that hurts us. We're all hurting because of the fall away from our relationship with God. So people around you hurt. And the gospel is the only answer for those hurts. And so we can take the gospel to them. Fifth, um, we live in an entertainment-saturated culture. And because of that, uh, you can use movies, television, stories, books, whatever, whatever, to explore gospel themes. Now, this might take some doing for some of us, okay? It's going to be a little bit different way of thinking about it, but don't you agree that people that spend just ridiculous amounts of money on being entertained? And we spend just ridiculous amounts of time being just glued to the television, don't we? Uh, they told me as a kid that watching too much TV would rot my brain, and they were probably right. Because I look around and I think our brains really are rotten, you know? But knowing that, and understanding that that really is not anything new, at least that the TV is new and the, you know, the cell phone we watch the movies and stuff on, that's new. But human beings telling one another stories, that's nothing new. Whether you talk about a bunch of cavemen sitting around the fire or you know, somebody binge watching Netflix for 12 hours at a time, that's just what people do. We like stories. And if you understand those stories for what they are, you'll realize that every story ultimately can be connected back to the story that God is writing in the world. Because that is the one story that is true underneath all the other stories. Some of y'all ain't getting this, so I'll explain it to you like this. One night, 
at a Chili's after a revival service where I was preaching. I witnessed to our waiter, shared the gospel with our waiter by talking to him about Harry Potter. What had happened was this dude comes up to our table and, on, and he had a tattoo that I recognized was out of the books in the movie. His tattoo said, Mischief Managed. And if you are a nerd, then you know what that's about. And I read his tattoo, and this dude kind of looks like he was a Weasley anyway. So, um, you know, he's real, he's real tall and pale and red-headed guy. And I commented on that, and I said, what's your tattoo say? And he said, it says Mischief Managed. I said, that's from Harry Potter, right? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, I want to ask you something. I said, you know what I think? And this is only going to make sense if you've seen Harry Potter, okay? So bear with me. But I said, you know what I think? He said, what? I said, I think that the writer of Harry Potter, I think she ripped off the story of the Bible. And he looked at me the way some of y'all are looking at me right now. But if you take the whole story of all eight of those books or whatever it was, and you boil it down, here's what it's about. It's about a promised child sacrificing himself to save his friends from an evil snake king. That is literally the story of Harry Potter. It's like, that is not... It's like, I know that story. And I told that guy, I said, that is the story of the Bible, that Jesus sacrificed himself to save us from the curse of the devil so that we could have everlasting life. And I hope he got it. I don't know. You pray for him somewhere. He's in Boone, North Carolina, probably watching Harry Potter, trying to figure it out. He's got his Bible, and he's watching the Chamber of Secrets thinking, okay, okay, okay. I don't know if that's effective. But I do know that the stories we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves love stories. We tell ourselves hero stories. We tell ourselves stories of redemption, stories of revenge. And people know those stories. And you can connect those things to the gospel. Maybe a more spiritual way to do that is our six questions. So we'll move on from Harry Potter. And ask this, uh, what's your favorite Bible story? You talk to people. There are people that you work with tomorrow. They know you've been in church all day today. And they know that the Bible, hopefully they know that the Bible is part of your life. And you can just ask them, what's your favorite Bible story? What's your favorite Bible story? And then they'll tell you. Or they won't. And then you can say, well, let me tell you my favorite Bible story. I got to do this when we were in Guatemala a few weeks ago. A lady I was talking to, she was selling some tacos there in a little cart. And I was talking to her and I asked her this question. I said, what is your favorite, what's your, what's your favorite Bible story? And she, she kind of gave what I thought was a, a very generic answer. <laughs> when somebody's trying to, you know, get away from this kind of conversation. She said, oh, I like all of them. They're all good. And I said, okay, fair enough. I said, well, let me tell you about my favorite Bible story. And I said, my favorite Bible story is the story of the prodigal son. And I asked her, I said, do you know that Bible story? And she said, yes. And so I kind of just retold it briefly in my own words through the translator. And I talked to her about how God welcomed back the prodigal from that life of sin but how he also had an older brother who was very self-righteous and represented all those religious people, yet God loved him too. And I told her, I said, in that story, I was the older brother. I said, I've never been the one that you know, ran away from God and did all these terrible things. But I still needed forgiveness and I still needed grace. And that's a great way to share the gospel with people. Just a great way to talk with people about the Bible. Another one is asking people, what is your faith, ba- faith background? I can't talk tonight, so... Y'all going to do this better than I can, so it'll be fine. What is your faith background? What's your faith background? You can ask that in a lot of different ways. Because not, not everybody, not everybody was raised in a Baptist church. There are some people, like mine and Brad's buddy Omar, that were you know, raised in a mosque. There are other people that were raised with no religion at all. There are people raised as Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever else. And sometimes we're afraid to share the gospel with people like that, aren't we? Because we don't, we don't, I don't know a whole lot about Islam. 
I don't know a whole lot about what the Mormons teach or what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, but here's what I do if I'm talking to somebody like that. I'm going to ask them. Say, well, what, what do you believe about this? And you know what they're going to do? They're going to tell me. Because in that moment, they think they're witnessing to me, right? And so they're going to tell me, and I'm going to listen and say, okay, okay, okay. And I'll say, well, you know, the Bible says this about whatever the point may be. What Omar actually asked us, kids, earmuffs, cover your ears, he asked us, he said, is it wrong for Christians to have sex before they get married? Or actually, I think what he said was, is do Christians have sex before they get married? And I said, well, Omar, I said, the truth is that a lot of them do, even though the Bible forbids it. And I said, I'm sure that Islam forbids it too. And he said something like, yeah, he said, it does. I said, but here's the difference. I said, the difference is that the gospel of Jesus says that God takes our sin on himself at the cross and he offers us forgiveness from the times when we fail him. Not that we earn our way to God by rule keeping. So when you ask people your faith background, they can tell you. And sometimes people do have that kind of weird, confused, cracker barrel Southern Christianity, you know. And they were raised in, in churches maybe where they did preach the truth or they did preach some of the truth, but they didn't really hear all the truth. And then you can just follow up and ask them, well, what do you take away from that? What do you, what do you think that they were trying to teach you growing up in Sunday school or, or those summers you went to vacation Bible school as a kid and ate sandwich cookies and drank Kool-Aid? What, what were they teaching you? What, were you? what did they want you to know? And most of them are going to say, well, they were trying to teach me to be a good person. Which, you know, maybe they were. Hopefully they were teaching more than that. Then when they say, you know, they were trying to teach me to be a good person, what do you do? You drop Romans 3 on them. Bless God, there are no good people. How does that suit you? But you have that opportunity then to understand where they are and transition to what the Bible says. The final one I'll give you tonight is from an evangelism training I did years and years ago called Sharing Jesus Without Fear, written by Bill somebody. Um, and it's a series of questions that you ask people. And the first one is, is similar to what we've asked already. Uh, what are your spiritual beliefs? What are your spiritual beliefs? And then the follow-up question is, to you, who is Jesus? To you, who is Jesus? Some people will say Jesus is a great example. Some people might say Jesus is, you know, God's son. They might say a lot of things. But for me, if somebody asks me who's Jesus, I hope I, I don't just say he's my example or, or he's God's son. I want to say he's my Savior and Lord. And that's what, that's what you're looking to hear from people and walk them through that. Is Jesus a life coach? Is he your buddy? Is he just some fable? Or whatever. Those are, those are some ways that you can hopefully begin to open up lines of communication with people and turn conversations uh, to the gospel. Now, if you do that, I think what you'll find is that it really is easier to share the gospel than you think. It really is. The hardest part is starting. But it's like jumping off a diving board. You get to a certain point, gravity's going to take over. And it's just going to happen. I promise you it's going to happen. And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed not only... I hate to say how easy it is. Don't misunderstand what I say, but how you'll, you'll be amazed at how supernaturally it'll come to you, and you'll be amazed at how much fun it is. See, what's going to happen to some of y'all is you're going to start sharing the gospel with people, and it's going to ruin you because it's all you're ever going to want to do with people. And God is going to open up doors and opportunities for you to do amazing things. So take these ideas. Think about them, pray about them, adapt them as you can. And be listening for opportunities where you can kind of crowbar them in on people and see what God does. I don't think there's really much reason for us to give an invitation tonight. The invitation is really not to come down here, but to go out there and share the gospel. Amen? 
So I'm going to pray for you this evening. I pray you have a blessed week. And I pray that you stay close to the Lord and stay close to one another. And we'll see you, Lord willing, on Wednesday evening. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come before you tonight in Jesus' name. And we know, Lord, that the only reason we can call you our Father is because Jesus has come and given His life for us and given us forgiveness and given us eternal life through His death and resurrection. Father, we're thankful for Him. We're thankful, Lord, for the privilege to know Him. But God, we're also thankful that not only do you invite us to know you, but Lord, you invite us to, to go out into this world and share what we know and what we've experienced with others. Lord, every one of us knows somebody, probably that we're going to meet with tomorrow, uh, who needs the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful witnesses. I pray you'd help us to be faithful witnesses. Lord, it doesn't necessarily matter what presentation we use, what question we lead off with. What matters is that we get people to the cross. Lord, help us to do that. God, help us to be equipped and help us to be prepared. So, Lord, go with us. Keep us safe. Lord, keep us close to you. Keep us united to one another. And bless us until we meet again. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.